This show is a part of the podcast network of the Walled Garden Philosophical Society, an international community of philosophers and seekers dedicated to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever they may be found. To find out more, go to thewalledgarden.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Searching with Seneca. So today we are continuing with letter number 31 on Siren Songs. And if you remember back to the previous episode, we discussed the first few verses of this letter where Seneca is is really telling us how, you know, he's starting to see this progress of his character. Uh, you know, he's starting to see that he, he's aiming at higher things. And, and, and he's starting to notice in that process uh, that there's siren songs everywhere, all around us at all times, that we need to block our ears from those siren songs, those sweet voices that would call us towards aims that are unworthy of the philosophical pursuit, right? And that would in in turn devour us, right? And so we need to keep our steadfast approach towards what would be higher and better and, and more virtuous and more right, right? And so, uh, you know, then he goes on to talk about how, you know, really uh, work is neither good nor bad, but it is an indifferent, which means that, you know, it can be kind of blended with virtue towards higher things, which is great, right? Or it can be used for, for you know, silly purposes or unworthy purposes for the philosophical seeker. And so he encourages us to think that, you know, really uh, what's most important and what we should really focus on is our aims. What are you aiming at? If you're aiming towards something that is honorable and virtuous and wise and right, uh, then he says, you know, struggle uphill towards the peak and I will encourage you all the way, right? Uh, and so this is where we find ourselves now in the letter. And Seneca is going to go on and talk to us more about the differences between virtue and vice and the nature of virtue and vice. So here we go. I'll dive in and we'll read a bit and then we'll pick it apart. So Seneca says, quote, Work is the sustenance of noble minds. There is, then, no reason why, in accordance with that old vow of your parents, you should pick and choose what fortune you wish to fall on your lot, or what you should pray for. Besides, it is base for a man who has already travelled the whole round of highest honours to be still importuning the gods. What need is there of vows? Make yourself happy through your own efforts. You can do this if once you comprehend that whatever is blended with virtue is good, and that whatever is joined to vice is bad. Just as nothing gleams if it has no light blended with it, and nothing is black unless it contains darkness or draws to itself something of dimness, and as nothing is hot without the aid of fire, and nothing cold without air, so it is the association of virtue and vice that makes things honourable or base. End quote. So, to those who have studied Stoicism before, there's nothing particularly unusual about this passage here, right? Because Seneca is really saying that work is neither good nor bad. It is an indifferent, right? 
But what turns it in the direction of good is when it is blended with virtue, right? Virtue being the only true good, right? And when when work is kind of directed towards vice, right, and things that are not honorable and wise and virtuous, all these things, then it it's pushed in the direction of bad, right? It's pushed in the direction of vice, and therefore work can never either be good or bad, right? It is always indifferent. The things that we are aiming at are far more important, and that is virtue and and and, and vice. Do you aim at virtue or do you aim at vice? That's the important decision. And so now Seneca goes on to talk about, well, what is truly good? And he says, quote, What then is good? The knowledge of things. What is evil? The lack of knowledge of things. Your wise man, who is also a craftsman, will reject or choose in each case as it suits the occasion. But he does not fear that which he rejects, nor does he admire that which he chooses if only he has a stout and unconquerable soul. I forbid you to be cast down or depressed. It is not enough if you do not shrink from your work. Ask for it. But, you say, is not a trifling and superfluous work, the work that has been inspired by noble causes, a bad sort of work? No, no more than that which is expended upon noble endeavours since the very quality that endures toil and rouses itself to hard and uphill effort is of the spirit, which says, Why do you grow slack? It is not the part of man to fear sweat. And besides this, in order that virtue may be perfect, there should be an even temperament and a scheme of life that is consistent with itself throughout. And this result cannot be attained without knowledge of things, and without the art which enables us to understand things human and divine. That is the greatest good. If you seize this good, you begin to be the associate of the gods, and not their suppliant. End quote. Okay, so there's so much to unpack from these few verses here, and you know, a lot of it tends to go over my head. You have to really, you know, you have to really have a think about these things, and you have to really uh, try and understand this kind of stoic worldview uh, when when reading Seneca's writings. And, and sometimes I struggle with that. But you know, so he he goes in here and he first says, you know, what what is good, the knowledge of things; what is evil, the lack of knowledge of things. Or you might think ignorance, you know, to to, to what is good and what is bad. Uh, the knowledge of things, well, he goes on to talk about this later on in those verses, where he says, uh, the art which enables us to understand things human and divine. Now, we need to remember that to the Stoics, wisdom, right, is defined as a knowledge of things human and divine, those two realms, the realm of the upper or the divine, the realm of the lower or the human matters, right? And this is a really difficult thing to understand, and I don't pretend to have full knowledge of, of, of exactly what this means, but I want to present you with an interesting idea here that I actually heard from a, an Orthodox Christian, uh, Jonathan Pajot, 
you know, who, who a very interesting person who focuses deeply on the the uh, uh, the symbolism of the Bible and that symbolic world, right? Um, and and when he 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 said something recently, I believe it was him anyway. I'm, I'm really sorry if it wasn't, but uh, you know, he was talking about how. Perhaps when you look up to the heavens, right, something that Seneca would always do, you know, he would be standing there on the island of Corsica writing his letter about how, you know, he's looking up and he's tracking the movements of the stars and the planets and everything, and he's communing with what is divine, right? He literally says, as long as I may commune with that which is divine, you know, and as he's standing here under the stars, uh, you know, what does it matter what ground I stand on? And Jonathan Peugeot, he was talking about how there's, there's kind of this this nature to the upper world that it really regulates everything that we do on earth. You know, the sun rises with reliability and it sets, right? The stars, we know where they are and where they're going to be. We can track them. You know, there's there's kind of a permanence to this upper world, but then you look down, you look down below your feet and you see that there's an impermanence to it. Everything decays. We, our bodies decay. You know, we're part of this very kind of fallible existence where nature kills us 100% of the time. You know, we, we are born, but then we die, right? And so, the, the upper world kind of represents this permanence, whereas the lower world represents this decaying nature, right? And and I just I want to contrast this with this idea of a knowledge of things human and divine, right? Uh, so you have a think about the indifference, right? Uh, you know, the Stoics said that everything other than virtue of the soul, virtue of character, right, uh, and your actions, right, everything outside of that virtuous action, virtuous character, is indifferent. Meaning it can it can decay or it can build. You know, it can it can be used for vice or it can be used for virtue, right? There's an impermanence to it. There's it's 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 not very stable, right? And so we have to be be careful with those things. Perhaps that has something to do with this knowledge of human matters, because that's the world that we live in. We are surrounded by these indifference, uh, you know, where, where we are constantly dealing with these things in our life that, uh, you know, are neither good nor bad. They they exist on this kind of spectrum that can be can be pushed towards virtue or vice. I've made the point, but nonetheless, you look at virtue, right? Virtue, this pure. Uh, stable, reliable, you know, constant, you might say eternal thing that we've discovered here, right, is much more like the stars and the sun and the moon. It's much more like the upper world. Because one thing you might think is courage, by definition, is always courage and is never not courage, right? And you know, uh, wisdom is always wisdom and is never not wisdom by definition, okay? Uh, justice is always justice and is never injustice by definition. These are things that we can rely on. And so, we are when we are aiming for the upper world, the virtuous life, we are aiming on, at those things that can never be perverted, can never be directed towards what is ill or bad or, or, or vice, right? We are aiming at those things things that we can rely on, that firm foundation, that rock for our lives. That is what the sage represents, the person who is so unbelievably steadfast and 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 right in their actions and pure and and wise and virtuous in their actions, right? And that's why we're always wrestling in stoicism at least with what is the sage? What is the sage? Because we want to know what can we rely on? What is what is by definition the highest possible human good? And so that's 
that's that's just one idea that kind of helped me to kind of think about these two realms of human and div- and divine. The thing that we can rely on that is always good, and the thing that is kind of fallible, dying, you know, decaying at all times, and and that perhaps uh, we cannot fully rely on for any sort of lasting eternal happiness, you might say. And there's even more that I want to break apart, uh, you know, from these few verses. So he says that your wise man, who is also a craftsman. A pause there, because what's what's really interesting about that is Seneca did live around the time where Christianity was just starting to, you know, kind of take place in the culture, or you know, it was being discovered. Christ was around that time as well, and you have a think, you know, okay, well, Seneca's talking about how the wise man is a craftsman, you know, Christ was uh, also a craftsman. You think, what's going on here? You know, there's some sort. Is there something that we don't know about Seneca and his relation uh, to the early Christian? church we there is some speculation out there that uh, that Seneca actually had conversations with uh, St Paul although I don't know how far those speculations go or, or how true they are but certainly this was a time where people were trying to wrestle with what is the sage what is the highest possible good and I just find it interesting that he mentions your wise man is also a craftsman he says that he will reject or choose in each case as it suits the occasion. But he does not fear that which he rejects, nor does he admire that which he chooses, if only he has a stout and unconquerable soul, right? Okay, so when Seneca says that the wise man will choose or reject in each case as it suits the occasion, he's really referring to the Stoic idea of appropriate assent or appropriate action, right? Which is virtue. If you know, if it's appropriate, then it's virtuous, right? And, and you have a micro moment right there of being virtuous, right? Right before you fall back into your pit of vice. But, but ultimately, this means that it, every single moment calls for advice, as Seneca has said in the past. Every single moment, right, calls for discernment and correct judgment, right? Which means that it's not as easy as we might think to just, to just say, well, this is good and that's bad and this is good and you should make this choice here and you should make that choice there. No, 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 no. It depends on the circumstances. It depends on what's happening in this moment and what is required of you in order to make the most virtuous and wise decision in that moment. And that makes things a whole lot more complicated, right? Because it's it's not it's it's certainly not a moral relativism, right? What it is is it's saying that every single moment we need to be careful with our choices because we might be making the wrong one or the right or the right choice, right? And so that's what Seneca is essentially saying here is that in each moment, you know, choose or reject as the ca- as it suits the occasion, right? And going on, it, it it's kind of hard to know exactly what Seneca meant by the the next few lines, right? Because he says, I, I, I forbid you to be cast down or depressed. It is not enough if you do not shrink from your work. Ask for it. And then he says, but you say, is not a trifling and superfluous work and work that has been inspired by noble causes a bad sort of work? And, and Seneca says, no, 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 no. Uh, no more than that which is expended upon noble endeavours, since the very quality that endures toil and rouses itself to hard and uphill effort is of the spirit which says, why do you grow slack? It is not the part of a man to fear sweat. And, and so what I take away from this, and I hope you'll correct me if you know something different or if you get a different interpretation about this letter, but what I'm taking away from this is that Seneca is trying to say that you know, work still has the 
essence of virtue in it. If you're still pushing yourself towards a higher aim, there's still that part of you that is saying, you know, uh, I'm not meant to just, you know, lay back and, you know, fall into a depression and to, you know, to not, to, to kind of shirk away from my work, right? Uh, that that's still the essence of a virtuous action, right? What he's saying is, so you don't need to stop working because there's nothing necessarily good or bad about work. What you need to focus on is making that next correct decision, right? Make the next correct decision as it pertains to the situation at hand, to the circumstance at hand. And when you start to get better at that, when you get better at judging the situation, judging the circumstances of your life, discerning what would be the best choice next, then you will start to, well, you will continue that uphill path towards virtue, towards wisdom, towards a flourishing existence. And so, as I said, you know, a lot of this I'm really trying to wrestle with here. I I, I come to these letters not necessarily with uh, the most academic uh, understanding of, of, you know, the Stoic principles, but I'm trying to wrestle with what Seneca is saying here and see uh, what makes sense uh, in terms of what his writings are meaning for us in our lives. And so, moving on, Seneca then, as we talked about earlier, he goes on to talk about uh, how we need to gain this knowledge of things human and divine. He calls it an art which enables us to understand things human and divine. I, I think that's beautiful as well. You know, we need to think about philosophy as an art, something to be uh, practiced, something to be, uh, some, uh, as a skill which we can develop within ourselves of, of discerning these things human and divine, of gaining a knowledge of them. And he says, that is the greatest good. If you seize this good, you begin to be the associate of the gods and not their suppliant. All right, so let's ask, what could that possibly mean? You know, that's such a radical statement that he makes here. And and really, uh, I believe that this has to do with this idea found in Stoicism, where they believe that our reasoning capacity, right, this ability to understand the works of this world, to understand nature at large, and to to peer into this very strange consciousness and 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 world that we inhabit, right, that is our spark of divinity that connects us to the whole, that connects us to the logos, right, that that ordering principle that binds and connects everything. And so, we have this strange human ability to understand these things, right? And when we have so far developed that human capacity to understand, to have this knowledge of what is good, what is bad, what is divine, what is human, right? When we have so developed that capacity, Seneca believes that we rise to the level with the gods and we're not merely pleading, you know, sending out pleas to the gods. You know, we're not merely asking them, please give me wisdom, please give me virtue. No, we can start to uh, truly have that experience of understanding, right? What is the right thing to do? What is not the right thing to do? And we can start to live by that code. And Seneca believes, as I said, he believes that that puts us at the level with the gods. Very interesting idea, which would require hours and hours and hours of unpacking, which I'm not going to spend right now, but we're going to move on and keep on reading. And before I keep on reading, Seneca is about to uh, say a whole bunch of names of places that I'm going to mispronounce like nobody's business. So, uh, full warning for what's coming. He says, quote, But how, you ask, does one attain that goal? You do not need to cross the Pennine or Grayan Hills, or traverse the Candavian Waste, 
or face the Syrtes, or Scylla, or Charybdis, although you have travelled through all these places for the bribe of a petty governorship, the journey for which nature has equipped you is safe and pleasant. She has given you such gifts that you may, if you do not prove false to them, rise level with God. Your money, however, will not place you on a level with God, for God has no property. Your boarded robe will not do this, for God is not clad in raiment. Nor will your reputation, nor a display of self, nor a knowledge of your name widespread throughout the world. For no one has knowledge of God. Many even hold him in low esteem, and do not suffer for doing so. The throng of slaves which carries your litter along the city streets and in foreign places will not help you. For this God of whom I speak, though the highest and most powerful of beings, carries all things on his own shoulders. Neither can beauty or strength make you blessed, for none of these qualities can withstand old age. End quote. Okay, so Seneca is kind of setting us up here, right? Because he's saying, you know, how does one attain that goal, that goal of coming to the level with God? And he says that, you know, it's not going to be traveling around to all these places under the bribe of your governorship, or, you know, it's not going to be your travel, it's not going to be your reputation, your your good name spread throughout all of the land, it's not going to be your slaves carrying you through the cities, it's not going to be all the things that you have, all of your money. It's kind of that classic idea of you can't take that sort of stuff with you, right? Like, you can't take it to the other side. That's not the thing that truly matters or that truly enables you to to go on this path uh, of philosophical enlightenment or theological enlightenment that, that, that Seneca is certainly talking about here, right? Uh, and so, he's going to now go on and tell us, well, what what is the thing that can put us on that level with God? And he says, quote, What we have to seek for, then is that which does not each day pass more and more under the control of some power which cannot be withstood. And what is this? It is the soul. But the soul that is upright, good, and great. What else would you call such a soul than a god dwelling as a guest in a human body? A soul like this may descend into a Roman knight just as well as into a freedman's son or a slave. For what is a Roman knight or a freedman's son or a slave? They are mere titles born of ambition or of wrong. One may leap to heaven from the very slums. Only rise and mould thyself to kinship with thy God." This moulding will not be done in gold or silver. An image that is to be in the likeness of God cannot be fashioned of such materials. Remember that the gods, when they were kind unto men, were moulded in clay. Farewell. End quote. So, wow, what a powerful passage. You know, Seneca is obviously talking about the goods of the soul that he says that we should always strive to uh, to attain, right? That That is our main focus, bringing forth the goods of the soul, those things that can never fall under the power of another person or can never decay, can never fall apart, but are always good, 
always available to us if we will but listen and pay attention and discern and bring forth those goods of our soul. And, uh, you know, I've not yet read a letter from Seneca that makes me wonder more about the connections between Seneca's writings and the the Christian theology, you know, because we do know that uh, some of the early Christian writers and, and many Christian writers throughout time have looked to Seneca for inspiration, but I have got the sense that the way that they look at Seneca, you, you think of uh, Meister Eckhart, right? He, he referred to Seneca as the heathen philosopher, right? But still called a on some of his wisdom and talked about it, right? I get the sense that the Christians looked at Seneca, at Seneca as somebody who was almost there, you know, almost in alignment with their philosophy and theology of uh, of life and living, right? But but didn't quite make it. But nonetheless, we we need to look at Seneca's writings from the Stoic perspective as well, and and recognize that there are so many interesting ideas in here. Number one, uh, that you know we have this potential to rise to the level with the gods, right? As in, we have that human potential to become divine. There is that spark of divinity within us. Perhaps we can kindle that spark and turn it into a burning flame, right? That makes us divine beings because we are participating in what is divine. Uh, And of course, we would have to define what is divine and, you know, what are the gods? What is God? And that's a massive discussion that we can certainly have at some point. Uh, But also, he's talking about this idea that this is something that is given to the person in the slum and the wealthy knight or the king. This is the ability that all of us have, which means that it's, it's kind of, it's, it's ultimate freedom that every single individual innately has within them. They have this freedom to participate in what is divine, to participate in bringing forth the goods of their soul. Man, what a powerful idea that levels the playing field of philosophy and theology, right? And says, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in your life or what sort of circumstances you're going through, right? You have the potential as a human being, it's given to you, right? In order to participate in what is divine and bring forth those goods of the soul. That's a, a powerful, powerful idea. And, um, you know, man, that finishes what what a brilliant letter on Siren Songs. You know, that is an amazing letter uh, that I need to spend a lot more time with. <laughs> it's a, There's so much more to be gained from that. And I'm, I'm so ignorant to a lot of the stuff that Seneca is talking about. Uh, but man, from what we have talked about so far, this is this is a great letter and I really take a lot out of this and I hope that you do too and I hope that you reflect on these things in your own life. And I hope that you give me feedback. You know, did I get anything wrong? Do you think I'm going down the wrong path in my thinking with these letters? Uh, do you think that I'm getting some things right? Just let me know. What do you think? I'd love to know. But apart from that, Again, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And when I say enjoy, I mean like it's given you something that is of value that you can take away and use in your life. And uh, I'll talk to you in the next episode.